The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. This informative and entertaining show will start your mornings off on the right foot. Here's your host, Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. To the Catherine Zox Show. I'm Catherine Zox with my co-host Lauren Deller Blake, and it's the Catherine Zox Show. I'm your social worker with a microphone here on VoiceAmericaVariety.com. Thank you all for joining us this morning, Lauren. How are you this morning? I'm good. I'm uh, home alone. It always makes alone. a nice difference, you know, a nice little yeah. You know, after having a house full for a week, so anyway, I'm ready to roll. Okay, good, great. Me too. How are you? And I want to talk about Barack Obama, or actually I want to talk about... I knew uh, you were going to go here today. I just knew it. Yeah, because, you know, what was it with this him speaking to our the President of the United States, children in our country having the opportunity to to listen to the President of the United States as he addresses them, and we have parents in this country who don't want their children to listen to a message. speech from the President of the United States. Tell me, you've got a kid. What, what's, what's happening? Is that not American or what? Uh, I kill, I, Catherine, I, you know, I always wish sometimes I could disagree with you on some of these topics, but this is one that I don't get it, and I just think that it's disrespectful. I think that we, who are we to not let our children hear his message? Two things. Who are we not to let them? You're right. We, I mean, you want the children to hear the President of the United States. I, that's a privilege. That is a privilege to be able to do that. And, uh, you know, I hear some of these, some of the parents, they interviewed a couple people, uh, not too many, but one mother is talking about she doesn't want her kids to hear something that may be too political. You leave that up to the parents. Let's say worth case scenario, and there was something political in President Obama's speech, which there wasn't. It was do well in school and stay in school. And and, what, and your responsibility for creating, a, being a successful person on this planet. Exactly. Oh, my goodness. Well, I just I couldn't what, even believe it. Let's say there was something political. Isn't it the responsibility of the parents? I mean, we live in a democracy. Democracy, wouldn't it be a great thing to discuss it with your kids and to have some dialogue back and forth? Let's say you disagreed with what the president had to say. I mean, that's what America is all about. That would prompt some great discussions, I would assume, once the kid gets home from school. Is that a bad thing? So I agree with you 100%, unfortunately, or whatever, you know, whatever. I agree with you. And here I had a massage last night, and my massage therapist was a little more informed than I was. I, we were talking about this. She, I said, what is up? I'm not, I really am not understanding why people would not want to have their kids hear his message. And she said that there was a homework assignment, the first round of the, of the speech. There was a homework assignment that had them write an essay on what they could do to support Obama as president. And they felt like that was very manipulative. That if their, if they as their those kids, parents did not want to support Obama's agenda, they didn't want their kids supporting Obama's agenda. So then they went back to the drawing board and changed the homework to be, what can you do to support your own goals? Isn't that a good exercise? That's great. So there was that's some the new exercise. Made. That's that was thing. the new exercise. Yeah. 
there's nothing, and I think, uh, I didn't listen to the whole speech, but apparently Ronald Reagan gave a speech back in the 80s, and he actually did have something in his speech, and I can't quote it, about helping the president. Exactly. I, mean, I don't think those I agree with that. I think that there was, they, they, I didn't see that. I think the media has a lot to do with it, and I think this is a problem. And even though we're the media, still, I think what the media does is they, they just take something like this and they run with it, and perhaps it's not as big an issue uh, as, as, it seems to be, and they'll interview a few people, and then they just keep the thing running, you know, in real time, 24-7. So it seems like more of a problem that parents don't want their kids to listen to the President of the United States give a pep talk to them. (laughs) You know, the other piece that, you know, I believe, if I remember correctly, you know, this is only my memory serving me, didn't President Bush read books to the kids over some, I don't know, I don't know if he did it in person, but I remember that. Not, he did it in person. He did it. It was nine eleven. He was sitting there reading books to kids. Exactly. I thought I remember him reading books. So he's reading. He chose to connect with children through books, which is fine, great. And Obama's connecting with kids through speaking. I think that it's a very powerful thing to have our president connect with our school age children, who will next, the next generation running our country. And by the way, George, our previous president, the books that he chose to read. He made a choice in terms of what book he was reading, so that's a political choice in and of itself. Oh you know, my goodness! To read I, one book to the kids as opposed to another book. So come on. I really do think it was a very. It was unfortunately tar- the parents that were doing this were targeting Barack Obama as a human being, not as anything else. So I just to me it was very political, very yeah. political, very um, disrespectful. I just I couldn't believe it. Yeah. So here's something political. This is political, our health care system. He's going to be talking. Now, this is going to be political, as it should be. Today, tonight, he's speaking? Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is, I guess, I, I don't know if you, I'd call this the topic, of the, uh, the, the topic of the century, I guess, or at least the topic that's going to define uh, much of his administration, amongst other things. But still, okay, he's, what about the people who say, now I'm going to ask you this, they, they keep talking about the fact they think Obama, and I don't think that he's necessarily going to do this, is going to have a government, an option for a government medical care. Uh, and nobody, and, and they'll, t- and, and uh, you know, you hear people saying, well, I don't want government involved in my medical care. I don't want government involved. That's a bad thing. Uh, what's Medicare? Exactly. And the other piece is, we have so, millions of Americans not covered by health insurance right now, and they're going to, they're using the system and exponentially raising our rates. It's happening, whether we like it or not, we're paying for those people to go to, you know, emergency rooms for sore throats, inappropriately. Yeah. Inappropriately, overkill, using so the facilities, using all of that, and you're right. And we're paying Medicare, for it anyway. Folks, Medicare, I just want, I have to say this, because I don't know, people don't think of that, or... Uh, Medicare is a, is a, a government-funded medical program. care, and everybody is, wants medical. I don't know anybody who says, whoa, hey, I don't want my Medicare. As a matter of fact, I, just have, I have a friend who's a psychologist, and she told me the other day, she said, Medicare, of all the insurance uh, payees that she has to deal with, are the easiest to deal with. Interesting. Yes, are the That's easiest and the most organized, which is, in, yeah, it is, because there are, you know, it's government, as opposed to these private insurance companies. So she said when they start criticizing you, government uh, medical care, it's not necessarily true. And she's a, prof- she's a good example because she's an independent professional person who depends, obviously, on, on, on insurance. And, uh, 
yeah, she had nothing but good things to say about how Medicare reimburses her and handles, you know, the kinds of clients that she has. It's that's a very interesting perspective. That's amazing. And yeah. you know, I think of all these other programs that people that we utilize, and they're okay. They've become okay because of time. Because over over the course of time, whether it's food stamps, whether it's Medicaid, you know, there's just there's lots of programs. What about women entrepreneurs? Because that's your specialty. They have small businesses. Uh, what are they doing? What are they saying? Because in terms of let's say companies. Uh, Women-owned companies uh, maybe have three, five, ten people. What's the story? How does that you know, affect very them? Mixed How does it bag, Very mixed. Um, I personally think that it, we absolutely need to have some a better system in place because I remember not too long ago, for me personally, it was getting harder and harder and harder and more expensive for me to get a health plan and less and less options. Now. Since be, being married, and that's a whole different, it changed everything. But as an independent single person, I was I almost, if this is like five or six years ago, I almost couldn't get health care. But then you have people that are a little bit larger and they're, they don't want the government to get involved. So I'm seeing mixed responses. I'm seeing so both you say sides. A little bit seeing, larger, just like we're seeing in the world's a opinion. company that has five to ten employees, but what, 20 to 40 employees or? See, there, so that size company, 20 to 40, a health, in, a health insurance company will insure them directly. So it's, and it's not such a hard thing to get health insurance. It's the small businesses, the, you know, one person to five that's having a really hard time because insurance companies will not insure them independently. So you have to go through something like the Chamber of Commerce who's having a harder and harder time negotiating programs for people because they're just, their rates are getting higher and higher. Yeah. You say women or, you know, women-owned businesses, there's this not a consensus necessarily. Not, there's not a consensus among Americans about how, how this thing should be handled. Although it seems like, Lauren, that there is a consensus to the, that people will admit this, our health care system is faulted. It's faulty. There's something wrong with it. We have to do something. But what we do about it is what the controversy is all about. And I think um, one of the things that I think is that, the president has to address is the finance. How are we going to? Well, how are we going to fund it? Where's the? It's all you know. The, being very specific about not that we need health care, that we need to revamp our health care system, but it's all about. It's in a sense all about the money. How? Where's money coming from? Where can we cut down on the waste? I don't know if he's going to be specific about that tonight or what. But I think that's one of the key. To me, anyway, that's one of the key issues. I think your point is really important that part of, you know, when we coach people, um, we the challenge is always meeting people where they are, whether you agree or disagree where they are. And I think that's part of Obama's challenge today is how how do you address every single person so that you can show them that there is a consensus, that, yes, we are in agreement that there's challenges. And then, then he can address the money. But I think until he addresses the fact that how are we all actually on the same page with this topic? Because it's so, what's the, um, what's the word when people are, uh, what's so opposed? It's so, it's so interesting that it's such an emotional topic. Well, healthcare, I, yeah. I mean, healthcare is an emotional because you're taking care of your babies, you're taking <clears throat> care of your old people, you're taking care of yourself. I mean, when it gets down to it, it's, I mean, isn't it all about our health? I mean, that's what we, it is true, but I don't think anybody's saying, and this is what makes me a little crazy to hear um, certain people, that 
you know, we're saying not to take care of people at certain points in their life. We're not saying that. I don't think people are ever saying not to use our health system in a very responsible, productive way. Yeah, well, some of the criticism, they've said, well, when he's going to support euthanasia, so when you get to a certain point <laughs> in life... Sorry, you're all done. You're done. They're going to get rid of you. Well, we tend to spend... Well, I'm not saying I support... I mean, he's not doing that, but we do... But I think the statistic is, don't we spend most of our money yeah. the last three months or three years of somebody's life to do kind of heroic efforts or to keep people alive. I mean, it's kind of skewed. It, the monies are skewed in that direction, and not I that totally you're going to let people die or advocate just... their death, but we do have to look, take a look at how we are spending the money. We well, have... it's, I totally agree with that, and I think that we need to be more responsible as individuals to have a plan in place to decide if we want to spend our money that way. Exactly, a plan in place. We're going to take a break right now. We, When we come back, our guest is Lucy Howard-Taylor. She's author of Biting Anorexia, which is a firsthand account of an internal war. Um, don't go away. I'm Catherine Zox with my co-host, Lauren Beller-Blake, and you're listening to us on VoiceAmericaVariety.com. I'm your social worker with a microphone. We will be back in a minute. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. If you want to put the pep back in your step, Chad Lafferty says just what you're looking for. Dance is life. Life is dance. It's only about dance. It's about moving through life with style, gaining awareness of the never-ending, ever-flowing movement that accompanies all of life's activities. Dance is life. Life is dance. Broadcast every Saturday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Radio Network. Be sure to tune in and tap into the limitless healing that dance can provide. Can't stop now. Are you ready to go green? You've asked, and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. Environmental topics are at the forefront of our society, and the Green Talk Network is here to keep you up to date on the latest trends and new innovations for the eco-conscious lifestyle. We'll help promote a variety of ideas on the environment, from global warming issues to how you can become more eco-friendly in your daily activities. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. Visit the Green Talk Network page on voiceamerica.com and tune in to help spread the green. Emotional intelligence has been documented to be the most important skill for a leader to move up in an organization. Leaders Playbook will unpack what emotional intelligence is, why it is important, and how you can raise your emotional intelligence for yourself, your direct reports, and your team. Join Dr. Relly Nadler every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern, to the Leaders Playbook on the Voice America Business Channel. Your success, your success could depend on it. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. Welcome back to the Catherine Stock Show. You've got that number. The guest call-in number is 866-472-578. What did he say, 88? I said 5787. 
Uh, well, I or, <laughs> well, maybe they both work. I think they probably do. Eight six six four seven two. Eight six six four seven two five seven eight eight. Isn't that what he? That's I think that's what they said. Anyway, or you can do eight seven at the end. If you have something to say, if you disagree with us, or if you agree with us, what's the difference? Just give us a call. I'm Catherine Sox, and it's Lauren Deller Blake, and you're listening to VoiceAmericaVariety.com this morning, this early morning. Lauren, here's a book for you. Do you eat out a lot? I eat out more and more, thank God. <laughs> 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 Forget about balancing home and kitchen and cooking and kids, right? I cook more and more. I do cook. I'm a, I do cook often, and then we eat very healthy. But, you know, Sierra and I have our little routine. We go out to dinner a lot now. We have two girls' nights out a week now. You, two nice. girls meaning you and Sierra? Or you yeah. And Sierra? No, me yeah. and Sierra. Well, when Rob's away, we go out twice a week usually. If he's away for the whole week, I'll, I'll go out twice and cook three times. Yeah, that's okay. That's a good option. Well, we do, do. We go out a lot as well, and I am, uh, and I have all these kind of like issues that I have with waiters and restaurants. Uh-huh. Naturally, uh-huh. Uh, I, a new I can't book, imagine book, that. It's not really new, but it's now. It's on the New York Times. It's a New York Times bestseller. Uh huh. New York Times bestseller. It's called Waiter Rant. Thanks for the tip. Confessions of a cynical waiter. And this guy's been on Oprah, and he's been on the Today Show, and he's uh, Steve Dublonkia. Dublonica, not Dublonkia, Dublonica. It is so funny, and he writes it like a David Sedaris kind of thing, very tongue-in-cheek, very funny. But um, it's all about how to be a good customer and all the experiences that he's had with customers uh, and how obnoxious they are and, and, and how he handles different types of patrons and the secret behind getting good service and um, he gives like these tips guidelines for tipping and cell phone etiquette and this would this is for you handling unruly children sometimes oh my maybe. god it's very rarely unruly okay <laughs> <laughs> my boys were unruly i had many times had to walk out of the restaurant because it just wasn't we weren't welcome Res- <laughs> and reservations on the busiest night of the year it's very funny so anyway i had him on my other show and i was talking to him because i have all these the stuff you know that's from the waiter's point of view but mine is was from the customer's point of view, the stuff that really bothers me. And the more I'm, I eat out at least three times a week, and it's expensive. And yeah, I don't it does. Have a, you know, not so expensive restaurant to a really expensive restaurant like in, in New York City. So um, anyway, oh, he has a blog, writerrant.net. Wait, I mean, waiterrant.net, waiterrant.net. It won the 2006 Best Writing in a Weblog Bloggy Award. So he's won awards for his – if anybody has issues with eating out, uh, this is a book to read. And I, he said the, the thing that bothers him the most I'm going to make about customers who come in to eat as a waiter. See if you can guess what it is. This is a test. What do you think? Talking on the cell phone. No. Um, I'll give you one other. Oh, we have Lucy on the line. Oh, Okay. All right, I'll tell you. You know what? Hold but that I'll, thought. I'm not going to tell you the answer. I knew you were going to do show. that. No, I won't tell you the answer at the end of the show. Anyway, we have Lucy, which is great. She is the author of Biting Anorexia. Lucy Howard Taylor here to talk to me and Lauren Deller Blake. It's a firsthand account of an internal war. She calls it. Uh, so begins this extraordinary account of a teenage girl's descent into the tortured existence of anorexia and her arduous, remarkable recovery. Welcome to the show, Lucy. Nice to have you on. Oh, it's lovely to be here. Thank you. 
So are we talking to you from Sydney, Australia? You are indeed. It's 12.15 in the morning. <laughs> That's right. I was pretty close. I said, I think it's about midnight. Uh, we were in Sydney, my boyfriend and I, about three years ago, one of my ah. favorite cities. Yeah, beautiful. Oh, it's, it's gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous. But at night, you can't really see anything. I'm not, no, well, we're going to keep you awake. You're going to have to warm up. Because you are not only an author, but you are a student studying English and law at Sydney University, a am, talented yes. photographer, and a published poet. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. So, but you also have struggled terribly with anorexia, and obviously this is your book, Biting Anorexia. So, first, you know, Lucy, talk to us, give us some statistics on, you know, how, pre- do you know, I mean, how prevalent a problem is this? It's getting more and more prevalent, unfortunately. It's, it's the rate of eating disorders is rising dramatically. Um, I can't think of any statistics off the top of my head, but it's also raising, um, rising particularly quickly amongst boys now as well. Um, it's something like one in ten people, one in ten girls I think it is, will get an eating disorder and something like one in six of the total people who have eating disorders are now male. Um, it, it has a 25% mortality rate. It's the most deadly psychiatric illness um, out of any of the psychiatric illnesses um, and chances of recovery are unfortunately very, very low because of the nature of the of the illness itself, and because of the nature of, of the medical treatment, which which um, people uh, medical practitioners are starting to realise isn't necessarily appropriate to the to the disease. Um, it, it's incredibly insidious. It's spreading. It used to be um, a disease of the affluent Western classes. Uh, it isn't so much anymore, and it's spreading throughout the world very, very quickly. And it's so, why do you think that problem. is? Because it's true. I mean, I always thought it, you know you think of it as a, um, a middle class disease yeah. of young women yeah. in Western Europe and Australia and the United States. But you're saying that's not the case. It's kind of really taking this international tour. It certainly is. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I mean, I can I can see that. I mean, I'm very involved um, on the internet on. Uh, uh, a recovery forum, and there are girls and boys from all over the world on this forum, all suffering from the same problem and all reporting that the rates amongst the people that they know of eating disorders, both anorexia and bulimia and compulsive overeating, are on the dramatic increase. Uh, and it's really, really worrying. So, Lucy, to, now what about your story? I mean, you know, you, when did you first realize that you had a problem or did your family realize you had a Problem and bring it to your attention. You know, how did anorexia emerge for you personally? Yeah, well, look, it's really hard because one of the characteristics of the disease is a total denial on the behalf of the sufferer. Uh, often, someone can be terribly, terribly sick and yet refuse to believe whatsoever that anything is wrong with them. And I remember that I was incredibly sick. I can see this now in hindsight. And yet I was totally persuaded that everyone else was being paranoid and that they were inventing problems. And in the end, what it was that, 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 what the first little knock of truth, it came from my mum because she was, it was slowly ruining her. It was really, it was really quite devastating her. I mean, I, I can't, I can't imagine what it would be like to watch a child slowly starve themselves to death. I mean, I just can't imagine it, and I'll never forgive myself for what I did to them. But she came up to me one day and she said, because her mother had just died of old age, and she said, look, Luce, I I can't bear to think 
of my mother and my daughter dying in the same year. And it was just in that moment that, that the incredible, I can't, even, I can't even describe it, the incredible anguish that was there just sort of hit me, hit me like a punch in the face. And I just thought, gosh, you know, she can't be so upset, so emotional over something that, that doesn't exist. I mean, there must be a problem here somewhere. And I mean, I guess that was the first, the first of many small recognitions um, that what I had was an issue. What, secondly, was the fact that because I was at school at the time, I could see very plainly that my work was starting to slow down. And I've always been a, an overachiever and I've always gotten particularly good marks, but I could see that I wasn't getting them any longer. And so I thought, well, look, I'm putting the same effort in, but I'm just not getting the same results. What's going on? Um, and, of course... Isn't that of, fairly typical, Lucy, Lucy of, of, of uh, those who do suffer from anorexia? Like they tend to be, and I'm going to say obsessive-compulsive, yeah. br- bright people who, uh, I don't want to say overcompensate, usually very successful, do well in school, do well at a job, um, I'm not sure how that fits into the diagnosis of the disease, but it seems to be one of the characteristics of of those who um, do suffer from anorexia. It certainly does. Um, Of course, it's not exclusively confined to people of those characteristics, but overwhelmingly the people who suffer from anorexia in particular tend to be perfectionists. Um, They tend to be very competitive. They tend to get good marks at whatever they apply themselves to, to succeed in whatever field they, they, they want to, you know, apply themselves to, whether that be academic or, or sporting or, or anything else. They tend to be, um, on the outside, for an outsider looking in, they tend to be those sorts of people who other people would, would think had it all going for them. Um, and that's constantly, is, that's constantly the theme that comes up from, from, from the people I talk to and the stories that I read is that people around them, their families, their, their siblings, their peers just ask the same question, which is how on earth could it happen to her? Because, you know, she seems to have it all, it all under wraps. She seems to have it all going for her. But, Lucy, um, you say happen, and I'm kind of picking on that word because yeah. does it just happen or do mm. you just decide that I am going to get thinner or stop oh, eating, yeah. you know what I mean, that it, it, or does it, it, you say it's insidious, you mentioned yeah, before, yeah. so, like, it's, anyone who's listening. This is the thing, you know, and I, I'm, I'm just as guilty of it as anyone else, it's this whole rhetoric of, of eating disorders that needs to be changed that just trivializes it. The thing is, it doesn't just happen. Um, you don't just wake up one morning and decide that you want to be anorexic that day and, and forego, you know, eating your lunch. It's not something that you can catch from just flicking through a magazine um, and looking at all the thin models. Um, you can't go to a fashion show or watch fashion TV and then just decide to become eating disordered. It's something that builds up over years and years and years. And this is something I didn't realize until, well, only now, you know, five years into my recovery, is that it had factors channeling into it from when I was six you know, from when I was in, in junior school, from when I was, um, from when I first started doing ballet when I was five. You know, I mean, it has, it, it's this constant, slow, insidious build-up of different factors. That's the other thing. There is no one factor that causes an eating disorder. So that once it starts to physically manifest itself, it's not the beginning of a disease. It's more 
just it's more simply that it's simply the physical manifestation of what has been going on psychologically for years before that point. Yeah, see, that um, I think is a critical point. We're going to take a short break, but yeah, you know, absolutely. when we do come back, I want you to address that because you know this program is about helping people and anyone who's listening. And as you're, you know, you've given us some statistics in the beginning, parents. Or, or those themselves who are suffering from anorexia want to know, as you it doesn't just happen. You know, there are yeah. signs, there are yeah. symptoms. So, but it's, you don't want to wait to the point where you've, you know, in the process of starving yourself. Back exactly. since it's five years old. I mean, you may be able to look for some of these, or parents or families, mm-hmm. be, you know, become aware of what those symptoms are. Um, we're talking to Lucy Howard Taylor, and she's author of Biting Anorexia. You can go online to... Um, to buy the book, and you can get it at bookstores everywhere. I'm Catherine Zox with Lauren Deller-Blake on VoiceAmericaVariety.com. I'm your social worker with a microphone. It's the Catherine Zox Show. We'll be back in a minute. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Go inside the world of PR with PR Insider, hosted by public relations expert Maureen Kettis. Maureen will speak to the world's highest profile PR pros from the fields of marketing, advertising, and sales. And PR Insider will feature renowned members of the media as special guests. Maureen will give you a VIP access pass, including tips and tricks to take your business to the next level. PR Insider with Maureen Kettis, sponsored by Cision, us.cision.com. Listen every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Network. Is it really true that nearly half of all marriages end in divorce? Get the answers to this and other questions about relationships on Relationship Radio with Jim Duzak. The program's devoted to marriage, divorce, midlife dating, and men-women relationships in general. Jim and his guest experts will have plenty of information, insights, and advice for you, all as part of a lively and wide-ranging discussion about today's relationships. You can listen Friday afternoons at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern, for Relationship Radio with Jim Duzak on Voice America. Inside all of us lives a warrior. We win battles with our careers, our finances, our children, our pets. It's time that the warrior within wins the battles with our own being. Modern-day Renaissance man Ori Hoffmeckler dispels eating urban legends and fitness myths in Voice America Network's The Warrior Within, your guide to nutrition, energy, sex, and survival. Ori sets the record straight and will help you become leaner and healthier for a lifetime. The Warrior Within broadcasts live every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific on The Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Tune in for your guide to nutrition, energy, sex, and survival. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Listening to the Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. We're back. I'm Catherine Zox with my co-host Lauren Deller Blake, and we're talking to Lucy Howard Taylor, all the way from Sydney, Australia. I love it. And she's the author of Biting Anorexia. 
a firsthand account of an internal war, and that's exactly what we've been talking about. It is an internal war. It's a struggle not only for the person who is suffering from anorexia, but the whole family and friends. And we've mentioned that this disease, and I'm calling it a disease, is insidious. And for so we're here to find out if it is insidious, what are some of the signs, the symptoms to look for? It's difficult. The person who's suffering from it, as Lucy just said, it, it, denial is a big component to this, that there is not a problem. We don't have, and I suppose denial, not just with the person who's suffering, but also for the rest of the family. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. So let's, let, you know, let's get into that because if we want to help people and we want to give them information, we want your story because you have recovered recovering, recovered. I know there's controversy whether you say you're totally recovered or you're recovering, but um, what would you say to parents or what would you say to somebody who may think, you mentioned at five or six you said that you think this whole thing began, this 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 uh, struggle with anorexia. Yeah. Well, look, I, I, I say five or six because I've had uh, serious problems with my self-esteem all my life, um, and that's been something that, that came into being when I first started going to school. And I saw I saw. So I suppose the first thing that a parent can really look out for is in our instances of low self-esteem, um, and I mean that's that's much that's really easily found and difficultly difficult to address. Um, it, it's very hard to build someone's self-esteem, especially when 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 they're a child and so influenced by the school environment and about being the same and, and fitting in. Um, but I know certainly that, that my low self-esteem was possibly, if I could pick one factor that was more important um, or, or uh, stronger than the others, it would have to be that one. Um, secondly, and I hate to, I hate to uh, pursue stereotypes, I did ballet for 12 years. Um, it's known that eating disorders are particularly prevalent in the dancing community. Mm. Um, I was always uh, taller than the other girls, and so I was always given the role of the men in our productions. Um, I was always the soldier or the king, and I was always given the larger costumes because I was taller. And it's only occurred to me recently that that sort of um, that language that was employed in relation to me as always having to have the larger costumes and always being the, the bigger performer put in the back row because I was taller than all the other younger girls who I was performing with, I've realised may have actually contributed, however indirectly. Something else that parents can look out for, though, is um, anxiety around food. Um, food should be an easy thing. It is the most natural of our impulses. It shouldn't be an anxious um, thing to have to go through and I know certainly very very early on in my um, in my illness even before it had started to physically show itself I was showing anxiety around food it was something as basic as not having prunes on my cereal which I'd always had um, it was something as basic as coming late to dinner and just sort of playing around with the food on my plate I mean that's, that's a behavioural thing that the parents can easily pick up on and easily try to address but so how do you, you say easily try to address, address, but Lucy, I see parents when that happens, they get locked into a power struggle with their children. Mm. You are going to eat those prunes because they're good for you, or yes. you are going to get here on time, or we're going to sit here till you finish that dinner, and yes. then you get locked into this power struggle around food, and then 
it heightens the anxiety. Yes, um, that, is, that, that, is, that is true. That is absolutely true. <laughs> um, and I know that certainly people have always asked, you know, oh, well, has your, has your family never eaten dinner around the dining table? You know, have you never eaten together as a family? Isn't that something that you as a family could have done to, to make it, you know, to make it better, to lessen the anxiety around food? The fact is we ate around the dining table every night of the week for about the first 15 years of my life. You know, I mean, so it is... When I say that it's easily addressed, that was possibly a slip of the tongue. It is very, it's easily identified, it's not easily addressed. Mm. Um, and it's something that, that, that really needs to be carefully, um, carefully looked at um, and carefully addressed so, so as to avoid those power struggles because the thing is, once the illness starts to take hold, those power struggles become harder and harder and, and more, and the thinking patterns that, 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 um, that spark them become harder and harder to break. Um, so what about, and I'm mom, or mom as we say, because they <laughs> always, and, and both Lauren and I are mothers, uh, you know, very often they blame mother that, mm. because mother has to do with serving the food and making the food. Yes. And, you know, traditionally it's, it's changed to some extent, but still, like, it's, this whole thing with 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 mother and forcing food on on uh, on their daughter or son, how, did that have anything to do with your issues? People have often brought my mum into it, <laughs> um, but mainly because she she's been a very successful um, career woman, uh-huh. so they they think that that I've somehow we've had people suggest that it's her ambition that has sort of cowed me into wanting to efface myself so I wouldn't have to compete. Um, look, it ha- that, that part is, it doesn't bear any sort of resemblance to the truth at all. The part that does bear a little bit of resemblance to the truth is the fact that my mum is the primary um, food preparer of the family. Um, she will share it with my dad, of course, but she, she does provide us with most cooked dinners, for example. She also um, has an ongoing problem with her weight. Um, now, I can deny the effect of that on me as much as I like, but I have to admit that it probably has had quite an effect on me. Um, I think it's really important for mothers... The thing is, <laughs> to, to finish that sentence and start yeah. a new one, children pick up behaviours from their parents, um, whether it's the mother or the father or, or a close uncle or aunt. If a mum or a dad is anxious around food, the child will be anxious around food. And I think one of the first foremost things that we can do as parents in particular is to really address our own problems with food first and foremost because if we exhibit a healthy attitude towards food, as, as, as a nutriment, as, as a giver of, of, of life and energy, you know, then our children will necessarily, in, you know, uh, inherit that from us. Well, they will watch us eat our food with pleasure and they will do the same. Um, it's, it's something very basic and very subconscious. It's um, traditional adult-child mimicking. However, that's obviously easier said than done. It's very difficult to address food yeah. issues that you may have struggled with all your life. You also mentioned, Lucy, when I'm listening to you, and I don't know, Lauren, what you think, but kind of this perfect storm, it's not, as you mentioned, it's not just one thing that sets this anorexia, this behavior off, the, you know, this, this, this disease, but this perfect storm of low self-esteem, anxiety around food, perhaps 
a mother, it could be a father, but let's say usually the mother who's preparing the food may have issues with weight. So you take all of those and probably more, and you put it together, and then you've got something, you know, you've got something brewing, literally, or you've got something cooking, and it's not a good thing. No. And look, at the end of the day, um, an eating disorder, anorexia, is a way of dealing with all those pressures when they come together. Um, and at the end, end of the day, anorexia is a coping mechanism. And so I think that really what needs to be looked at when it comes to treating um, eating disorders or even preventing them, we've got to provide our kids and our adults who are just as susceptible to suffering from eating disorders, it's getting older and older now, we need to provide them with new coping mechanisms, with new ways of dealing, because I think we've lost... We've lost something fairly essential to ourselves. You know, people could say that, you know, it's religion. People could say that it's community values. Um, people could say that, you know, in this, in this era of, of globalization, we're, we're actually growing further and further apart. Whatever it is, we have lost something that has led us to isolate ourselves. Um, and I think the most important thing that we can do is relearn how to deal with life. And it's particularly difficult for kids because obviously growing into their own identities, growing up, that's really, really tough. That's never going to be easy. You know, there are always going to be literal growing pains. But if we can try to brainstorm some some different ways of dealing that aren't so self-destructive, you know, I think that would be better for everybody. Yeah, I think as you defined it, it's a coping me- mechanism and not a good, I mean, obviously a very negative way of approaching or coping with the stresses in one's life. So you yes. have to re- replace that. And I would imagine we have only a couple minutes left, but uh, one would have to do that through therapy, group therapy, family therapy. You can't yes. go it alone. You can't, you can't do it alone. You can't. And I mean, lo- lots of people who are very ill will say that they're not ready to recover, that that's constantly the rhetoric that comes out of people who are very ill. The thing is, you'll never be ready to recover, but you've got to do it because there's no other choice. Because if you keep going down that path that you're going down, the only thing you'll end up is as is dead. Um, That's the basic practicality of the situation that that you're in. Um, But yes, you can't do it alone, and the best thing you can possibly do is to have that sort of another perfect storm cooking, which is family intervention, therapist intervention, um, potentially in some cases hospital intervention, friend support, sibling support, as much support as you possibly can get because it is really, really tough to overcome. And the more support networks that you have, the more you'll have to fall back on when you do take a step backwards. And it does happen. Recovery is a constant stepping forward, stepping backwards, stepping forward, stepping backwards. It's a, it's a slow process. It doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen over, over a month or even two months. It takes years. But um, it is important to get that medical help as well as that familial help um, because then you have the, the two bases covered. You've got the, the, um, the professional base and the, the family intimate base covered. And that, that's really the best, best thing you can do. And Lucy, I, I thank so much for sharing this story this morning and also your book because I want to mention the book again because we've got to take a break. Biting Anorexia, Biting Anorexia, Lucy Howard Taylor. I definitely I recommend this book. You can, uh, you can buy it online. You can buy it at bookstores everywhere. Um, thanks so much for being on the show this morning. You've been terrific, and I think you've probably helped a lot of people in the process. I hope so. I hope so. Yeah, you have. Thank you. Thank you. 
Uh, we are going to take our break. I'm Catherine Zox. You're a social worker with a microphone, and it's Lauren Beller-Blake, my co-host, both of us on VoiceAmericaVariety.com, if you're listening. If you have any questions or comments about what uh, we've been talking about, 866-472-5787, give us a call. Um, we will be back in a minute. Don't go away. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Total career success. What does it mean to you? Voice America presents a radio program dedicated to help you achieve your career goal. Even in times of economic uncertainty, you can achieve your financial goals. Whether you're a college grad, new in the working environment, or a top-level executive, you will benefit from the practical and proven advice on job search and career advancement. Join Ken and Cheryl Dawson every Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, for Total Career Success on Voice America. Are you ready to go green? You've asked, and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. Environmental topics are at the forefront of our society, and the Green Talk Network is here to keep you up to date on the latest trends and new innovations for the eco-conscious lifestyle. We'll help promote a variety of ideas on the environment, from global warming issues to how you can become more eco-friendly in your daily activities. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. Visit the Green Talk Network page on voiceamerica.com and tune in to help spread the green. Want to have behind-the-scenes access to some of the greatest minds of today? On Shift in Action, we feature leading-edge innovators who are building a more conscious, sustainable, and healthy culture. Host Stephen Dynan offers live shows with evolutionary leaders such as Deepak Chopra, Van Jones, and others who are creating new paradigms for conscious living. You can keep your finger on the pulse of the latest frontier work with our weekly transmission of inspired wisdom on Shift in Action, broadcast live every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time on Voice America. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. We're back, Catherine Zox and Lauren Beller Blake, and you're listening to VoiceAmericaVariety.com. You can call us at 866-472-5787, comments, questions. We were talking to Lucy Howard Taylor, who's author of Biting Anorexia, I say anorexia, anorexia, which is an enormous problem. Uh, I think one of our, in the United States, but not just in the United States, as Lucy was saying, Lauren, it's become an international problem and not just in Western Europe and Australia and the highly industrial countries, but kind of in, it's taking over uh, it's as a coping mechanism for dealing with the stress that we all deal with on a daily basis, and it's, and it's very, very serious. Um, you know what I was thinking when we were talking to Lucy, because I was up, I had insomnia last <laughs> nights ago, 
So I watch TV, which is not a good thing to do, I know, but I do. And if I'm alone, I watch it. If my boyfriend's in bed with me, I kick him out of bed so I can turn my TV on. How's that? It's no wonder that he has his own house. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Who'd want to be with me? But I do because oh, I have to watch my – otherwise I can't get to sleep. So anyway, I'm watching TLC, that channel on – I guess it's cable. TLC, do you ever watch that? Um, no, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah, well, anyway, they have all these stories. Yep. And this was about – it's the opposite, although it's, it's part of the same problem – uh, obesity, and it was, they had three case histories of uh, two, they were all, actually they were all, one was a man and the other two were teenagers, and this man would weigh a thousand pounds. Oh my. Lauren, a thousand pounds. Oh my goodness. You are half the size of this man's arm, or right. maybe even a quarter of the size, I don't know. Oh my goodness. And it was his story about, I mean, these he had never left the house, like, in five years. Mm. It's, the oppo- it's the same issue, but just the opposite. Yep. Yeah. It has the same impact on your life. Actually, well, I think never it's having clear. left the house. Being, mm. But one of the things, and there was two other teenagers, he was in his 40s, and then there were two teenagers who were 850 pounds, and the, the, fo- the thing about this story was that they were, I think they were from Texas and on the border, and I think this clinic probably was in Mexico, and this doctor does this the bypass surgery on their stomach. Um, uh, not by, Is it called bypass surgery? Or, yeah, you know, that's right. Yeah, okay. And so it gives their, you know, they have to be thin enough to get the surgery. You can't do it on somebody who's 1,000 pounds. He had to lose 400 pounds before they could do the surgery. Oh, my goodness. It, but this whole issue of low self-esteem... Well, that's exactly what I think both of these, they're eating disorders, both of them. Eating disorders, and yes, and... and, and <clears throat> Which comes from low, and we have to eat as human beings, so if we don't feel good about ourselves, we, we use food as a tool versus a, something to nourish us, which is really what it's meant for. But here's another piece of this. These people had, in order for them to eat that way, and most of they were bedridden. They couldn't get out of bed. They couldn't walk. Right. You have to have an enabler. You have to have someone Absolutely. who's feeding you all yeah. this stuff. It's true. Usually it's the mom, isn't it? Yes. In yeah. one case with this teenager, this mother, they, I, I thought this was interesting because they called the relationship, they, they were interviewing a psychiatrist, a psychologist simultaneously with, you know, videoing the, the teenager in his house, in his bed with his mother taking care of him and feeding her and defining her as the enabler and also defining their relationship, the mother and the son, as an addictive relationship. The mother was addicted to the son and the son was addicted to the mother. And they, it, it, there was an addictive quality to their relationship that kept them together. I mean, she, the more he wanted her to feed him, the more wanted and needed she felt, even though she knew it wasn't good for him. So she would be feeding him like 10 hamburgers for breakfast, all this fried oh, food. I mean, want to know how many calories he consumed? I'm sure you have the number right there. I do. 30,000 calories a day. Oh, my God. I couldn't do that in one day. I'd be How many Ill. calories do you eat a day? I have no idea. I never think about it. See, then you have a healthy relationship with food. Right, because it's about nourishing myself. Like, so you I, just get up in the morning, you eat what you eat to nourish yourself, right? Is exactly, that true? Exactly, exactly. And I actually, I enjoy eating, and but it's not like I don't enjoy overeating. I enjoy eating and feeling good. Do you weigh yourself? 
No. So I don't weigh myself. I mean, that's not true. I weigh myself maybe once, at, like five times a year. Right, well, which is healthy because you want to. You I know, just am curious. Oh, do I did I gain weight? But I'm always I've been the same for twenty years, thirty yeah. years probably. I don't know. So that would help. Twenty probably twenty. Yeah, I don't weigh myself. I'm not a big. I weigh myself because I we Sierra wants to know how much she weighs because we keep saying she gets bigger. So I get on with her and then I subtract my you know see what uh-huh. she really weighs because the scale does not as accurate down at those thirty pounds. You know, she's not getting obsessed with how much she weighs. Is she? <laughs> no, she... not at all. No, we talk about how big she is, you know, how tall, how much she weighs. She gets it, you know. Well, that whole issue, the other thing is the self-esteem stuff. I mean, you have to, that's that's another one of the keys, building self-esteem in your kids, however you do it, um, so that they don't become focused on on an eating, overeating or not eating as as an eating disorder. Um, The problem with it, either way, whether you are anorexic or bulimic or you're obese or morbidly obese, that's what these people were, morbidly obese, um, there's an obsession with food. It's an obsession with food. In some capacity, like an obsession of not eating or an obsession with eating. Mm-hmm. It goes both ways. And, it, and, and another piece of this is the whole control issue. It, I mean, I can understand it in a way. When things are, if I feel stressed out, think about it, and everything and things are happening to me that I feel I don't have control over, Yeah. one thing I can control is my food intake. And I, if I don't eat and I can feel kind of purified and I feel good and I have control and I look good, there, I, can under, I see how that can become a way of coping. And yeah, it can I totally a, get that. I absolutely get And I, what's interesting is we, I think we tend to learn how to cope in those um, healthy or unhealthy, depending on how you want to see it, mechanisms from our parents and how they cope. Now, he, I, just a really quick story. When my grandmother was dying a couple years ago, my mother was the eater. My sister was the drinker, and I was the cleaner. It was crazy. We were all three obsessed with our thing. I was obsessed with cleaning. My mother was eating, and my sister was drinking. Perfect example. Isn't that great? Yeah, I mean, not, it wasn't great, but it was it was what it was. But we it wasn't. The, I was it's a great that example. It's not a good thing to do, but it's a great example. But you know what, Martin? It's not such a bad thing to do if you do it if you're aware. Uh, how should I say it? If you're if aware you, of what your coping mechanism is, and you can manage it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you see yourself. This happens to me. I start, you know, bringing out the bottle of scotch. I need to like not use this every time something happens. <laughs> Although I, I can identify with your that. sister. Get me my doers, and I'll be able to handle this problem. Exactly. <laughs> and that's easy to do. Cleaning, I've, I yes, that, and that's very common. That cleaning thing because it's clean. It's not only is it clean, but you do it. You finish it. It's and done. It There's nothing good. ambivalent about it. Right? Yeah, I love that. And I'm not a big cleaner. I have someone to clean my house. But if, if I'm stressed, i got to organize my house. It's exactly. all got to be picked up. Organization, we have to say goodbye. Lauren Beller-Blake, Catherine Zox, VoiceAmericaVariety.com. Tune in every week. Listen to us, East Coast 7, West Coast 10. And for you in the middle of the country, it's in between, whatever the time is. Anyway, it's the Catherine Zox Show, and I am your social worker with a microphone. Hope you had a good day today, because I did. Did you, Lauren? I did. I'm still wondering, though, what the waiter, the waiter doesn't like us to do. Oh, I'm not going to tell you. They'll have to t- next week. All righty. We'll talk about it next week. Yeah, we, we'll talk about it next week. All right. Have a great day. You too. <laughs> See you next week. Bye. Bye. 
you have enjoyed today's episode of the Catherine Zox Show. You can listen live every Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America channel. Want to know more about Catherine? Visit her website at www.catherinezox.com. Be sure to join us next week for more interviews and great conversations with Catherine Zox. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.